You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back, everyone. It's Across the Romaverse, episode 60. Uh, I guess it's a sort of post-mortem in ways since Roma's coming off a disappointing derby defeat at the hands of Lazio. Uh, Jimmy and Brand, Brandon, I shouldn't say Brand, but that's the, 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 the shortened version for the no. Brand versus Brand pieces. So we'll go by Brandon, right? So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know we're a day later than usual, guys. Uh, we had Jimmy traveling essay, so we definitely wanted to wait to bring him into this. We didn't, you know, Brandon and I didn't want to go through this dire episode without jimmy so jim how are you doing coming back from uh, the west coast not great man i mean this, this this was not a great match to be following along and i i compounded it by this morning saying well i'm gonna be on the podcast tonight i gotta watch the tape delay so on sunday i was seeing the score go wrong on my phone and then this morning i was watching the game go even worse when i was watching it you know on delay so but we get to talk about it we get to talk it through yeah, we couldn't let you escape without talking about this one, Jim. This is like this is like the the initiation for you two guys after uh, a good run of podcasts besides the Verona one. So, Brandon, how you doing? Uh, I'm still in a period of mourning myself. Um, not sure what's the appropriate amount of time to give to that period of mourning, but similarly to Jimmy, I also tried to rewatch the match in advance of this game, and it was just so tough to get through, knowing how it ends. Yeah, it's always tough to to watch these kind of matches on delay, especially when you know the result. Um, I I actually had a commitment uh, Sunday afternoon with my sister, so I watched the first hour at home. I made my wife drive to my sister's, who lives about 45 minutes away, and got to watch the second half on the phone in the car. Um, I guess going to a social event after kind of helped ease the pain a little bit, <laughs> but it will not be a fun one to talk about for us, you know, especially... I went on a couple of Lazio podcasts, and I was, you know, did a couple of Q&As for Lazio's site, so... Watching all those guys that I follow, you know, on Twitter was not fun seeing their uh, joy after the match. And in the last couple of days, it's still things are still being posted, not directed at me, but just in general. So never fun to look at. Uh, but we'll do our best to break it down and, and kind of see where things went wrong for Roma, um, because I think we all went into this with 
higher expectations than the way it played out. And uh, we'll start with the background. So Roma entered coming off a one nothing win against Udinese. That match I didn't get to see in its entirety. I don't know if you guys did because it was a weekday, but they only came in on a one nothing win. Can either of you guys fill us in about how that match went? Um, I, I know from the numbers, it wasn't the most impressive. Yeah, I mean, I got to see it because I am in the middle of a lot of job applications, but not necessarily a huge number of uh, other things to do work-wise other than, you know, writing for CDT. So, I mean, my general feeling after that match was actually pretty encouraged just because despite, you know, the red card to Lorenzo Pellegrini in the 89th minute, what I saw in that match was things not going well for Roma and Roma still winning, which has always been like the trickiest part for this club, regardless of manager. Um, uh, Roma did not always look like the better side, even though they had more, sh more shots, they had fewer shots on target. Um, and they barely had more possession than Udinez, who did not look particularly good themselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that they were able to get a goal in the 36th minute and then not concede, huge. Um, even after a red card where there was like five or six minutes left to play, they kept that score 1-0. And I mean, obviously that win would look a whole lot better and feel probably less close if we had won the Derby as well. Uh, but at the same time, I got to say, I was pretty happy with the result of that match, especially considering how tight the schedule has been for the past two weeks or so, where it's just been match after match after match. Yeah, and I think those were the kind of results we expected a bit under Mourinho, more the grinded out results than we've seen the, the high flying affairs so far. But Jim, one thing I thought I thought of you when I saw the first half highlights because I missed the first half and I saw the goal that Tammy scored and it was set up by Calafiori, who you were talking about last week about his playmaking ability. And I don't know if he listens to across the Romaverse, but he went on one hell of a run to set the goal up. So uh, kudos to him for that. Uh, all joking aside, it was it was a really nice play. Yeah, I mean, I got to also add that Maybe Calafiori doesn't listen to Across the Romaverse, but maybe Mourinho does because that we, we definitely hit on, or at least we're thinking similarly because right in the pre-match uh, interview, he talked about basically what we had said about Calafiori. He's a very promising player, but he is sometimes too hesitant in part because, you know, he's 19 and has had so many injury issues. And you obviously don't want him to get re-injured, but at the same time, Mourinho basically said, I need my fullbacks to be a bit more attacking. I'm confident that Calafiori can do it, but you know, the reason why he hasn't been starting as much as Savinia um, is because he hasn't shown that much yet. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously the Lazio loss was stinging, but the fact that Calafiori was able to do that attack, which, you know, was definitely not as pretty looking as like your typical Spinazzola um, marauding down the left flank, but you know, it, it got the job done. And I'm, I'm happy to see that, you know, at least, there's the potential for a more attacking Calafiori in there. And I think we saw that to a great extent against. Yeah, Udinese. for sure. He showed how yeah. just physically imposing he can be. Brandon, anything you want to throw in there about Udinese? I don't know if you got to watch the whole match or not. Sure. Yeah. I got to watch the whole thing. Um, I think the, um, you know, with the Lazio result in mind, it really highlights just how important it was to get the three points versus Udinese. Um, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast, how, you know, it could be a little more damaging to Roma if they went into the Lazio match undefeated and then um, the result went as it did. So I thought it was very important to get those three points that we ended up getting. We played ugly. Um, 
that's I feel like might be par for the course under Mourinho as we've seen under recent years. But as long as we are getting those three points, I personally don't care. Um, so yeah, it's it it really just you know sandwiched between those two losses, it's really a vital three points that we got. Yeah, that's a good point because after you know we'll talk about the table a bit maybe toward the end but at now after six match days 12 points out of 18 is a lot better than say nine or 10 out of 18 when you consider the way the table looks Lazio themselves they were coming off a disappointing 1-1 draw to Torino so they were kind of scuffling a little bit in recent weeks and uh, it gave Roma a bit of a cushion coming in so they did have a four-point cushion over Lazio so they still remain ahead of Lazio on the table uh, as we break down the match but Jimmy mentioned the red card in the, the Udinese match it was really a, a pretty soft second yellow when you saw the replays on Pellegrini. Mourinho even mentioned he wanted to, you know, try to not challenge it, but appeal it, so to speak. But, you know, I think that was all just wishful thinking because I don't think Roma ever formally filed, a, a you know, an appeal or anything. It's not something that usually gets overturned. Um, it's more just a gripe than anything. So Roma was the, without Lorenzo Pellegrini in this one, suspended due to red card. Uh, so he came out of the lineup. He was replaced by Henrik Mkhitaryan in the central midfield. Uh, Stefan Elshorari moved into the left wing position to replace Mkhitaryan, who had moved central. Matisse Vigna was back from injury. Mourinho mentioned that he would be available in his pre-match presser. I was a little surprised Vigna started after not playing in so uh, at least three three weeks, I'd say, probably about, because uh, California's played the last three matches. So at two and a half, three weeks. And uh, he did start, which was uh, a little surprising to me. Were you guys surprised by Vigna starting, Brandon? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, when you combine the fact that Vigna was coming back from a knock and, um, you know, Calafiori wasn't fantastic against Udinese, but he, you know, he showed enough that I thought maybe you you stick with him, especially when he has that ability to, um, you know, go forward and provide a ball similar to how we did against uh, to Abraham. Vigna too has that ability, but I just think um when you're looking at form obviously you probably want to go with the player that's not coming off an injury and throwing them into their um first derby in a new country um with your new team so I thought just you know based on based on those um elements that Califiori should have started Jim I see you nodding your head a bit over there yeah, I mean, the one thing that I can think of is why you wouldn't start Califiori for this match which is a legitimate reason um you know, he's 19, he's Roman, and throwing him into the fire that quickly into the derby. I mean, we've seen the successful idea of, you know, throwing a young player into the deep, real deep end, like when Di Francesco started Zaniolo against Real Madrid for his first start. Like, that hap- that works like one in a million times. <laughs> and, and like Zaniolo was that one in a million. And so as a result, I don't really feel like, you know, pushing and saying, hey, Calafiori, we're going to like throw you into the lion's den literally by having you start a derby, even though he's performed admirably against smaller sides, was probably the best idea for his confidence. Um, that's the only reason why I could think of to not start Calafiori, because it's, I mean, it's 100% true that, that Vina coming back from an injury, being in a similar boat regarding the derby and everything like that definitely makes it seem like why would you bring him back so the only reason why i could think of of bringing in vina instead of calafiori is just you know worry about how he might respond to the derby environment yeah i think that has a lot to do with the Mourinho's managed quite a few derbies i think it's like over 100 in his career between all the leagues and competitions he's been in 
Um, so the, the 19 year old factor was probably part of it. Calafiori had played three straight matches. He's not a guy who's had a lot of minutes under his legs and he probably wanted more of a veteran. If you want to call Vina a veteran, just because he's played for Palmeiras and played in some derbies in Brazil. Um, you mentioned a Roman in the derby. <laughs> my, my one big thing I, after the, the red card against Udinese for Pellegrini was I went on besides our podcast, two other podcasts last week, I was asked to go on as a guest to discuss the derby and, in all three, I mentioned I wanted my key thing I wanted to look at was if Pellegrini would rise to the occasion in the Derby or be overwhelmed by the moment like we've seen other Roman stars be. And then that went out the window before the match even started. So <laughs> took away from my uh, my hot take there. But um, Roma had to manage without Pellegrini. So let's get into the key moments and see how, where it all really went wrong. And it, it really went wrong early uh, for Roma. They gave up a goal 10 minutes in. Uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, great goal um, with a header, crossed in by Philippe Anderson. The initial pass came from Chiro Immobile, which will be important. I'm going to mention something about Immobile later uh, as I broke down the numbers for one of the pieces on our site. But um, it was a, a, a header. Patricio charged late, got there just after Milinkovic-Savic, gave him a bit of a clothesline on the way through, missed the ball, got got a SMS and got himself a yellow card. And Lati was up one nothing within just 10 minutes. So let's talk about the goal a little bit. Uh, anything you guys noticed, uh, Jim, I'll go to you first. Yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of the times with there, there've been so far this season, I think that we've had kind of an interesting mix of goals that feel like they're very much specifically individual mistakes. Like, and I would say the second goal against Pedro is way more of an individual mistake on the part of Brian Cristante, uh, than this first goal. And, but then we've also just had some goals come go against Roma where the goal is just pretty good. <laughs> and, and I mean, unfortunately, there's not really too much you can do about that. That's the way that football goes. And the encouraging thing is that in a lot of matches, when, you know, that goal has just happened because a player has a good day, Roma has responded. And to a certain extent, Roma did respond even after going down 2-0 in this match. But my biggest comment from that first one is that, yeah, sometimes – Sometimes goals are going to happen. And when a player who, at least in my opinion, Milinkovic Savic is their best player by a long shot. Um, when a player like him is on the field, you, you know that, you know, some days it's just going to not be your day and he's going to score a goal like that. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Brandon, what was your take on the goal? Yeah. Well, for starters, um, Milinkovic Savic is one of my all-time favorite players, like currently playing. So it really hurt me to see him score against us. Um, but one of the takeaways for me with that goal was that it wasn't – you could find fault with individual players, but I feel like the goal itself was kind of a team letdown in that Vina could have stepped up to Felipe Anderson a little bit more on the cross. Patricio could have come out of his goal a little bit earlier. The center backs could have been in a little better position to um, prevent the run. So, um, you know, it's, it's – um, it's a team sport as the cliche goes. And so that was, that was on display there, but, um, but like Jimmy was saying, you know, that, that those goals happen and it, the, the margins are very fine. Say Vina steps up a little bit earlier. Patricio comes out a little bit earlier. That goal might not happen. So it's, it's, it's thin margins we're talking here. Yeah. And it was one of those goals, actually, as I was watching in lifetime, you kind of saw how the play was developing because the camera was panned out far enough and, and you kind of just saw SMS drifting into the box. I wasn't sure if it was him or Cheeto at first, because from a distance, they both have the, the light hair and, you know, they're both playing a similar position in the box and he drifted in and you could kind of just see him drifting right in between Carsdorp and Mancini. And as soon as that ball was released, you kind of felt like he was going to get ahead on it. And you're right. It was a, a fine margin because if Patricio comes out earlier, 
maybe he gets gets a, a punch on it. But it's also a, a ball that I think is tough for Patricio to come out on too early because it was just such a perfect cross. I have to give Anderson credit. It was a perfect cross. Yes, Vina probably could have stepped up a little bit earlier. We'll talk about Vina too because I thought he had a, some rough moments in this match. But, um, you know, you do want Mancini and Karzar maybe to read that a little bit better. I, I thought, and I love Mancini, but he got a bit lost on that play. I thought he didn't really fall back into Milinkovic Savage's path fast enough. But um, a really good header. And, and we, we've seen at SMS, and you, you mentioned you're a big fan of him, uh, Brandon. He wins lots of balls in the air. It's hard to mark him in the air. So it, it was just a tough goal to, to stop. But it didn't stop there for Lazio because less than 10 minutes later, they found themselves up 2 nothing. This is a goal that I see Brandon shaking his head already. This is a goal that hurt more. Uh, 19th minute, Pedro of all people scores. I mean... I guess we should have been able to predict this with him coming in. He's been motivated under Saudi. You know, he didn't have the best time in Rome. He was unceremoniously let go on a free and uh, he came back to haunt Roma here. Now this was an interesting one because this actually started all the way on the other end of the pitch with Roma in possession. Uh, I believe it was Cristante. I watched the replay a little bit before we came on to Cristante kind of, it wasn't a real cross. It was a low aerial pass to Zaniolo in the box back to goal. Uh, Hisai comes through his back a bit. Referee called shoulder to shoulder. Lazio instantly goes on the break the other way. Uh, and when you look at the still shots and the replay, Roma had about four or five players back in, in transition. Uh, the ball went to Immobile on the initial, you know, uh, outlet. And he found Pedro who buried it low into the corner from about the top of the box uh, past Patricio. So, Brandon, I saw you shaking your head. What, what did you make of this goal? Because th- this one was tough to watch. Did it really have to be Pedro, of all people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll forever have to hear that statistic about how he was, um, I think, made probably the first player to score in one derby in one shirt and then score in the next derby with another shirt. Um, so that, that'll be fun to hear about for the rest of the time. But um, one of the things that really drove me crazy about the play itself, not necessarily the, the, you know, the penalty shout from Zaniolo because you that that's a coin toss in terms of whether that's going to get uh, called or not. But for me, Pedro is actually the one that, uh, you know, provided the outlet to Immobile and he ran the whole length of the field to get on the end of it um, on the return pass. And, you know, what rewatching the game, I noticed that, he he runs past Cristante and Cristante just looks at him, but there's really no urgency in, you know, keeping up with him. I guess he's assuming Vini is going to track back or Abanias will slot over. So that really drove me crazy just in terms of, you know, positional sense. But that speaks to the argument that or the discussion that we've been having, whether Cristante is suited for that defensive midfielder role. So I think, you know, for me, that was the big uh error on that sequence I think I think Patricio probably could have done a little better on it too but you know you kind of have to tip your hat to Pedro for placing it perfectly yeah it was it was a perfectly placed shot very tough for Patricio to stop I think Jim what did you make of the goal yeah I'm not going to talk too much about the actual goal itself I'm going to talk about the beginning because that was what really frustrated me and honestly it's been it's something that's been frustrating me for the entire season so far Um, I think that Zaniolo is in a position right now as a player where every other player in the league recognizes him as like a star slash superstar level player and is is not afraid to play very rough with him because of that. But the referees are not, you know, 
giving him the treatment that you generally see star players get. Um, whether that's because he's getting carded for being slightly more aggressive. And in my opinion, like his red card against Fiorentina was a bit ridiculous. And we've been seeing this, you know, just generally that like pick things that would be a penalty like that, that should have been a penalty in my opinion. And the fact that he didn't get that call is like that goal doesn't happen if, you know, the ref actually calls that penalty. And were there a lot of breakdowns on the way back? Yeah, Cristante messed up. I still think of him as way more of at least a midfielder and not a defensive midfielder. He should be at least, you know, like a box-to-box type. I think that's where he... If he was in that Vertu role consistently, I think he'd be really doing well for this club on a more consistent basis. Um, but yeah, it's it's just very frustrating to be watching these matches right now and to see, like, a lot... Zaniolo have a lot of the physical tools again, but to feel like the refs are just not giving him anything when every single player seems to be recognizing that this is a guy who can, you know, make something out of nothing. So they're going to play him incredibly hard. Part of the reason why a player who can make something out of nothing is able to do so is because the person who's defending him knows that if he fouls him, then you're just putting them in a great, the other club in a great position to score. And right now there seems to be no impetus for someone defending Zaniolo to not just, you know, foul him hard because it doesn't seem like the refs care. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go back to the non-penalty call. In live time, I was shouting for a penalty when he went down. And then, you know, the, the announcers weren't so sure. They did go to VAR and, and look at it. And when you see, like, still shots and you saw replays, it, I could see why the referee would think in live time it was shoulder to shoulder because they were pretty tight. But on the replay, his eye clearly comes from behind and, and goes through his back. So uh, a bit frustrating that it wasn't called. We can't say Roma lost the match because they didn't get this penalty call. But a lot could change if if they do get the penalty call because Lazio instantly went down on the same play and scored. So it wasn't like, you know, they don't get the penalty call, then five minutes later, Lazio scores. It was instantaneous. And that's what hurts even more because if they do review it and it goes to VAR and they do say it's a penalty, then Lazio's goal gets wiped away. It could possibly be 1-1. It could change the whole, you know, match. So, but truth be told, this was a, the second derby out of the last three, the second quote-unquote road derby, because last, I think it was December or January when they played Lazio, they fell behind 3 nothing early, and the match was done and dusted by halftime. And this had a similar feel to it, I, I can't lie, because after watching Roma do what they did last year in some of those big matches, especially the derby, in the back of your head, it's like, oh, oh boy, here we go again. Now this match didn't end 3 nothing, uh, but Roma finally started, it felt like they finally started playing to me in about the 25th minute. It's been a similar kind of trend lately, I'd have to say. Now, they haven't fallen behind two goals to a lot of teams yet this year. Um, But it seems like they have to get hit in the mouth sometimes before they really start to attack, which is a little concerning to me because, you know, I I thought with Mourinho, they'd be a little bit better prepared heading into this match and maybe be a little more motivated and ready to go. So I don't know what happened. But um, in the 26th minute, the first real signal of intent from Roma was Jordan Vertu uh, getting a pretty good hit on the ball saved by Reina, punched it over, led to a corner kick, which was probably the, the most dangerous Roma was all match, was from the corner flag with Jordan Vertu dropping dimes really from the corner flag because he was putting them right on people's heads. 27th minute, Zaniolo header off the post on the corner from Vertu. Just couldn't latch on to the loose ball. Reina was able to grab it before anybody from Roma could tap it in to cut the lead. But uh, Roma's bad luck with the, the post continues. I mean, this has to be five or six posts, I think, so far this season in about eight matches. So um, a little bit of tough luck again for Zaniolo. What did you make of the, the first chance? Anybody want to weigh in on that? 
Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the, the, this club has been having some rough luck with the post. I mean, it took Abraham, what, three or four tries of it hitting the post at the Olympico before he got his first goal at the Olympico. And yeah, I mean, in some ways, Roma's been incredibly lucky to start this season, but in other ways, the luck has just gone in the exact wrong direction for certain individual players. Um, Zaniolo in particular just seems like he's like, I, I think that his long-term prospects are still, you know, as good as they were before his two ACL tears. Like I've seen enough from him to be like, okay, there's going to be like a breaking in period of coming back to into form, but beyond that, I'm not worried. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, it's just, you're not your day. Just, just like with SMS getting that goal, that, that was his day. And unfortunately, I don't think it was Zaniolo's day in a lot of different ways, whether it's that penalty that in my opinion, he should have gotten or, you know, hitting the post or pretty much, you know, again, in later in the match when Zaniolo has a beautiful shot that gets saved just at the last second by Reyna. Like these are things that you can't control for a hundred percent and it's frustrating, but at the same time, I can't say that like Zaniolo performed poorly in this match. I think that he did pretty much everything that you could do. It's just sometimes it's not your day as a club. Yeah, it just just tough luck sometimes. Like you mentioned with uh, Abraham, I think Zaniolo's had a couple posts this year. So it's been tough luck. But in the 41st minute, Roma does finally hit back. Uh, it was a corner kick from Vertu, another another great corner. Uh, Ibanez with a nice header. Brandon, what'd you make of the goal and how did that did that change your feeling of the match at all at that point in the 41st minute at 2-1? Yeah, so I think uh, it definitely changed my perspective on the match. You know, I we've talked about it this a few times on previous episodes, but the there, there definitely is a um, seems to be a shift this year from previous iterations of this team where they they respond after going down. You referenced the 3-0 loss or loss last year, or going down 3-0. I can't remember if it finished 3-0, but um. So it, it was nice to see uh, the bounce back once again. Um, you know, as you mentioned previously, it seems to be a little running theme with this team this year, which is concerning. But it is nice to see the the um, the courage to to push forward and um, look for that equalizer or to pull one back. Um, in terms of the goal itself, I think it speaks to what we were kind of getting at um, with the last with the Baratute, uh or the Zaniello chance. Sorry. Um, and that we looked very, very dangerous on set pieces all game and in particular corner kicks. Um, for me, I can't really remember a time where we consistently looked a threat on the corner like we did um, on Sunday. And so I'm hoping that's something that will carry carry over over the course of the season. Yeah, set pieces and corner kicks, we, we've been pretty dangerous. You know, the offense doesn't always flow as much as you want it to in, in attack. But corners and set pieces, we've seen Pellegrini set up a couple set piece goals and good chances in previous matches. Here it was Vertu uh, playing in some really good corners. And I remember the uh, commentator here in the States mentioning at one point before Roma had scored that Lazio had not given up a, a set piece goal all season and Roma nearly scored a couple times. So certainly encouraging when they're winning aerial balls in, in the box against a team like Lazio with some guys like Milinkovic Savage and Acherubi defending because those guys win a lot of headers. So encouraging sign from Roma there to get back in the match, you know, from about the 25th minute to halftime, it was a lot of Roma uh, felt like they might even be able to, to find a second goal before Lazio would increase their lead. Went into halftime at two, one, the teams exchanged some chances, but nothing on goal until in the 63rd minute, 
It was Lazio hitting Roma again on the counterattack. It was uh, this time Philippe Anderson from Chiro Immobile. Um, Patricio charged uh, Immobile in the box. He got around Mancini and Patricio. And instead of, you know, trying to take the selfish play and maybe getting a shot blocked by one of the two, slid it across to Philippe Anderson, Ibanez and Mancini both tried to get the block in. I know Ibanez ran straight to the goal line to try to cut off an angle. Mancini charged him, but Anderson placed it well and it was 3-1. So another goal in the counterattack. I know we've been the team this year that has wanted to hit teams on the counterattack. This was a little bit of the old Lazio, the Inzaghi Lazio that played 3-5-2 looking to counter a lot with uh, Immobile and Milinkovic-Savic and those kind of players uh, rather than Roma, which has been kind of the counterattacking team heading in. So what'd you make of this goal, Brandon? So I, I, I did, I wasn't really too upset with this goal. It's, you know, it's a derby, you're chasing the game. Uh, you're, you're taking the risk to get back into the game. So you, you, um, you run the risk of getting exposed on the counter. I think my issues with the goal probably lie with Mancini and just his one, one V one ability. I think that was, uh, very poor from him on that front with Immobile allowing him to cut back, um, also, I think Vina is another person to to uh, to pick out on that sequence, just because um, watching watching a highlight of the goal again, you you can see him just like sprinting back to catch up to Felipe Anderson, um, and at that point in time, he had been getting burned across the course of the whole game by Felipe. So you would think, you know, uh, be a little more cautious when going forward, uh, knowing the threat that Anderson has. So that, that, those are probably my two big takeaways coming out of it. Yeah, Vigna had a rough match, and, and the commentator referenced it a few times, how he was just giving Vigna a heck of a hard time. Vigna was on a yellow card since the 48th minute, so it made defending him even more difficult. Jim, what'd you make of that goal on the counterattack? Yeah, I mean, it's not a good match for Vigna again. I feel, real, I feel bad for the guy because, you know, not only, not only is he having a tougher acclimation period to the club like no other signing that we've had this summer is having that tough acclimation period so it just really stands out like a sore thumb that he's not really fitting in just yet um this goal I'm not going to blame it all on him but a, a lot of it felt like it was him um and I, I don't really have an answer here because obviously we're we're playing the waiting game with Spinazzola coming back I think it was the right decision probably to play Vina if you're worried about Calafiori in the Derby. Um, and I, I would be worried about throwing a 19-year-old into the Derby like that, especially a Roman one. Um, but yeah, I mean, this just kind of emphasizes the point that if Spinazzola is able to come back and be you know, remotely healthy in the next five to six months, that we better hope that he can come back and play because I think Vina is a promising player and hopefully he can improve his form but he's definitely not playing remotely close to what we've kind of grown to expect for the past season and a half or so from Spinazzola in that left back position, both defensively and offensively. Yeah. I had Vina as a talking point later in the, in the episode, but since we're on, I'm here, I, we might as well just get to it. Um, yeah. I mean, what I did a piece on Vina when he was arriving, you know, kind of comparing his stats to Spinazzola bit obviously a little bit of apples to oranges because you have the Brazilian Serie A against the Italian Serie A different league there's an acclimation period I'm not writing off Vigna yet but uh, from the research I did on him his stats seem to indicate a more balanced player a little you know a guy who could attack a guy who could put in crosses but also a guy who would be able to hold his own defensively and he's had some rough matches 
So obviously there's a, a step up in quality overall in the league. So he's going to be facing more dangerous attackers, Philippe Anderson, a very experienced guy with Lazio. I believe also spent time with West Ham in the Premier League. So he's a guy who's dangerous and he gave Vina a hard time. You know, and we talked a few episodes ago, you know, when Spina Sola comes back, what's the breakdown going to be like with minutes? You know, is there going to be any room for Calafiori? Now the question we kind of have to ask is, how much time does Calafiori now get? Because maybe Vina's struggling. Does Mourinho give Calafiori more of a look in certain matches? We'll see because, you know, Mourinho does like the consistency. He said that a few times. So I'm sure we'll see Vina out there plenty too. But he's got things more to work on than I initially imagined. Do you guys feel the same, Jim? I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that he has more to work on per se. I think that a lot of it is just, you know, acclimation time to a new league, to a new language, to like a lot of different factors that, you know, I think we take for granted when a, when a guy moves over to, from South America. Like, I, I, I just think that he needs some time to understand how to play in this league. Um, I don't know if that's ability related or just, you know, building up knowledge, um, just like you would at any new job. Like there's a break in period for anybody, no matter what job you're starting. Um, so yeah, I, I, I still see a lot of promise in him. Don't get me wrong. I wish that we could have brought him in as a Spinazzola backup and like acclimated him that way instead of, you know, expect expecting him to be our number one left back with Spinazzola out. But then again, we probably wouldn't have signed him if Spinazzola wasn't out. We probably would have been fine with riding with Cal Fiori as our backup left back if uh, Spinazzola wasn't injured. So I, I don't know. I think it's a hard situation for him, but I don't think it's a, bit of a question of ability. I think it's more a question of just, you know, he's got to be broken in a little bit, just kind of like Zaniolo has to get more time in now that he's coming off of his injury form. Yeah, what about you, Brandon? What are your thoughts on Vigna in this one? Uh, I, I completely agree with everything Jimmy just said. Um... You know, when Spinazzola comes back, he, his role is backup left back. And so, um, you know, there, there's you have to have that context in mind when evaluating him. Um, I think a combination of the, you know, just the amount of games that he's played already when you, um, you know, consider his commitments with Uruguay as well. Um, the knock that he picked up, I think. You know, it's just a, a whole flux of factors that um, led up to, the, you know, this performance and the shakier performances that we've seen the, the last few games. I don't think you completely, you know, abandon the idea of him being your starting left back and go straight to Calafiori. I think if, um, especially, you know, we're not privy to how they're performing in training. So if Binia is still performing better than, it looks more capable than Calafiori in training, you stick with him. Um, if he's recovered well enough in advance of Thursday's game, give him a run out in the conference league, try and get his confidence up a little bit. But so I think it's something that he can play out of. Um, it's been a shaky few games, but I think there's also been flashes that he's capable of doing so. Yeah, agreed. I agree. I definitely think like you guys mentioned the, the, the abilities there, it's going to be that breaking in period and then missing a stretch of matches doesn't help either. I'm sure with the timing and, and the pace of the match. Uh, in such a high intensity match, so to speak. It wasn't, you know, a sit back, defend kind of team. This is, you know, a high quality team running at you with a, a decent quality player and Anderson running at you. So 
Uh, tough times. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see if he starts again on Thursday or if they give him a, a, a rest since he had so much time off and then maybe he bounces back on Sunday. We'll see uh, because then he'll be back on duty with Uruguay again in, in just over a week. So he'll be busy. Uh, so he won't get much time with Mourinho to kind of fix some of those things that maybe if Mourinho notices. But um, going back to the match, Roma did hit back it, just about six minutes later. Jordan Veratou buried a penalty. It was drawn by Zaniolo. Again, Zaniolo goes down in the box. This one, to me, looked a little bit more dubious, maybe a bit of a makeup call, because in live time, it looked like he went down. He did go down like a ton of bricks, though, when he swung to kick the ball. I don't know how much contact there was on him in the box. Um, maybe a bit of a makeup call. What did you make of it, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it was probably at least a little bit of a makeup call, which I always hate. That's like my least favorite thing in any sport when a ref decides to do a bit of a makeup call because it's both, it, it, it doesn't actually fix any of the problems of what the ref did before. It just adds to them, if anything. Um, nevertheless, I'm happy that we got the call because as I said before, that, that penalty at the beginning definitely should have been a penalty um, for Zaniolo. So yeah, I mean, by this point in the match, even watching it on replay, I was getting pretty depressed watching it so it's not like I, I don't have too many more insights beyond yeah I think that was a makeup call and man do I hate makeup calls <laughs> what about you Brandon <laughs> um so after watching it uh on a replay a couple of times I I think I'm also in agreement that it's a makeup call I think um when Zaniola first begins the action in the box there is contact that I think would probably be enough to warrant a foul but that he plays through it and then tries to get the shot off I can't see any contact really after that. So in that sense, I don't really agree with the call, um, but, or, you know, I would understand if it was not given going back to the earlier one where you mentioned how on replay in slow motion, you can clearly see him going through Zaniola's back. Um, that was more, way more clear cut than this one, I think. But as Jimmy was saying, you'll take it um, <laughs> when you can get them. Yeah, you take them when you can get them. And, and like Jim said, I, I think you make it a great point. If it is a makeup call, it doesn't really fix the, the ills of the first non-call because that, that put Roma down to, uh, to nothing. Uh, this one gets them back within striking distance at 3-2. And Roma didn't give in. They actually had a good push after the penalty. Just four minutes later, Reina made that huge save on Zaniolo that Jim referenced earlier. Uh, Zaniolo made a great play in the box to beat two players tight angle and he actually shot right-footed which was impressed me with the power he hit it with because he's a left-footed player across the face of goal and a quick reaction by Reina to keep it at 3-2 uh, another save on Mkhitaryan in the 76 and then a pretty big save on Eldor Shamordov in the 81st who came on after Lazio going up 3-1 uh, there was a uh, not a great header but a header on goal from Ibanez uh, closer to the 90th minute Roma had some chances on goal couldn't get past Reina I know Reina is a guy who's drawn some criticism from Jerry Mancini, who I listened to on Calcio Connection, who's a Lazio guy, but heck, he stepped up in this match, and we'll get to him after the commercial break. But before we get to the commercial break, just a few stats to throw out there from this match. In the end, the XG actually favored Roma 2.3 to 2.22, so uh, closer than you would imagine based on the, the goal-scoring chances, I guess. But Roma had the chances to score, and the XG kind of had them even with Lazio. It kind of speaks to the quality of the goals Lazio scored too because they weren't high quality chances according to the XG the possession ended 50 50 the passing accuracy was nearly identical both teams were at 85 percent uh, Roma completed 409 passes to Lazio's 406 Roma outshot Lazio 19 10 with seven shots on goal to Lazio's four 
as I mentioned, Reyna made six saves on those seven shots where Patricio only was able to stop one of the four shots on goal, which ended up being big in the end. Uh, Roma led the corners nine to one. And we talked about how dangerous Roma was on corners uh, where Lazio did dominate a bit was in the air, 17 aerial dual wins to Roma's eight. Uh, and Lazio had 26 clearances to Roma seven, which shows how much more pressure Roma kind of had in and around the box that Lazio had to extinguish the fires a little bit, but not give up too many high quality chances. Any of those stats jump out at you guys before we go to commercial break? Yeah, the XG stings. It, it really stings. And I mean, I think that a lot of that can also come down to the, like the goals that Lazio got were by and large good goals. So I'm not going to criticize that too much. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like the fact that Roma didn't score more does come down to some shoddy refereeing work. And I don't, I don't want to blame the referee too much, but there is some blaming that should be happening right now. <laughs> Brandon, anything jump out to you in the stats? Um, I think, you know, with the stats, it kind of just uh, confirms what my eyes were telling me watching the game, which is that these teams really aren't too far apart in terms of quality. Um, it really comes down to fine margins and winning individual battles and all that good stuff. Um, and I think, you know, on, on a different day, a lot, some of some of those um, final passes that Roma were attempting maybe connect and uh, it's a different story or, um, you know, the refereeing is a bit different, but it is, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, um, a lot made about Roma's inability to compete with the top teams. And um, I think this game, although the, the result being disappointing, I think it showed that we've made some strides in that department because throughout the course of the game, even though at a point you realize that that third goal to equalize isn't coming, you still appreciate that the team, um, is you know going toe to toe with Lazio, who aren't too far removed from being a scudetto contender themselves. Yeah, the XG gets bumped up a little bit because Roma had the penalty, so that's always a, a high you know goal scoring chance. But yeah, I mean the stats speak to the eye test. After the 20th minute, Roma was pretty much toe to toe with Lazio at some points, better than Lazio. So if this match had ended in a draw, I don't think it would have been an unjust result for either side. It would have been more disappointing for Lazio because they were up you know, two, nothing and three, one, but I think Roma had the ability to get the draw. I think Reina really bailed Lazio out at points, but um, like you mentioned, it, this is a team Roma that is on level footing, I think with Lazio. And I expect the second time they play Mourinho will have them more ready from the, the, the jump, so to speak. So as not to dig themselves a hole because without that hole, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a different match. So we'll get into some of the key talking points after the commercial break. We'll take a quick break. Now we'll be right back. All right. We're back and uh, we're going to talk about some of the key talking points. We just talked a little bit about the stats and how they kind of go a little bit against the result, what the final score was. But one thing I want to talk about is how much did Roma miss Lorenzo Pellegrini? Because one thing we mentioned was Roma was really good on set pieces. Yes, Pellegrini does take a lot of set pieces, but Vertu is equally capable, which we saw in this match. I think where they missed him more was in the, the buildup phase of the match. They kind of missed that guy who could kind of set teammates up um play on the counter a little bit Mkhitaryan had himself an okay game not nothing spectacular and um you know El Shirari was quiet so maybe if Mkhitaryan slides out to the left and you know Pellegrini central maybe they, they have more chances I don't know but I'll get your take Brandon what was your take on missing Pellegrini in this one I think it's hard to um you know put a 
to articulate just, you know, how much Roma missed Pellegrini just because of how quickly they went down 2-0, which dramatically, your game plan gets thrown out the window at that point, and you're chasing the game from here on out. And so, you know, in terms of forcing the issue and trying to claw back into the game, it probably, you know, would have been very helpful to have Pellegrini um, uh, being 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 uh, the conductor on um, these offensive actions that we're going for. But it's hard to say in terms of falling behind early if Pellegrini would have made a difference in that department because we've pointed out that, you know, who is at fault at, on, on these goals. Um and you know that that's not that's not a that's not Pellegrini's role in the team. Um, you know, posi- positionally he could have been you know in certain spots that what maybe would have um, influenced those goals. But I think generally, um, at least in the early stages of the game, it's hard to put a put a um, a point on just how much he was missed. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I'd push back on that a little bit. I agree that it's not necessarily his role to be, you know, in the defensive phase of the match, even when he's playing less as an attacking midfielder. He's never been, you know, like a defensive giant. But at the same time, even when it comes down to pure mentality, if you ask me, Pellegrini has shown throughout the start of the season that he's Roma's best player right now, um, which is why it's such good news that reportedly he'll be signing his contract and like there'll be an announcement of that in the next couple of days. Um, given that losing your best player for what is probably one of the most important matches of the season is just a huge mental toll. Like that, that weight takes a huge mental toll on a, on a team to lose their best player. And even though there were definitely players who were able to slot in and aren't complete scrubs to fill Pellegrini's role, like Mkhitaryan is a very good player still. It's not the same as having Pellegrini, who's not only the best player in the squad, but he's the captain. He's the, he would have been the only Roman in the starting 11. There are so many reasons why for the Lazio-Roma derby, having Pellegrini would have been incredibly helpful, more broadly speaking. And because of that, I have to believe that having him in the starting 11 would have made it so that Roma wouldn't have gone down so quickly, if that makes sense. I think that there just would have been a it factor kind of similar to what Milinkovic Savage brings to to Lazio, in all honesty, um, that he's been good enough this season that he just finds a way to score in a way that, you know, Milinkovic Savage showed that he could do in this match. And I think that having him on the field would have been crucial, even if it wouldn't have, you know, prevented those two goals. I think mentally it would have cause the change yeah I think you both bring up great points I think Brandon's right in the sense that Pellegrini's not the main guy defending those goals so if he's on the pitch it might not change anything but at the same time you know in other years missing Pellegrini wouldn't have been the end of the world there's been plenty of derbies in his young Roman career that he's actually been on the bench for and you know I remember a couple years ago he was forced into action when someone got hurt and he actually scored that back heel goal which was kind of built up some confidence in him two, three seasons ago. This season, he's been the best player on the pitch for Roma almost game in and game out. So maybe from the leadership standpoint, maybe it helps. Maybe from the attacking standpoint, trying to come back, it helps. It's all, you know, hypothetical, but um, it was a big loss. And coming in, and and Mourinho knew that. For him to say immediately after the Udinese match, you know, can we appeal and all these things, he knew it was a big loss for Roma. Um, does it change this match? We don't know. Like we said, because they fell behind so early, it kind of changes the whole game plan, how you attack the match and things like that. But um, 
I would have been curious to see how much it changed just because he's been in such great form. Um, a guy who hasn't been in the greatest form, but probably was man of the match in this one was Pepe Reina. I mean, he turned back the clock a bit. A couple of the saves he made were probably the reason Roma didn't find a way to draw this match on huh, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I, it would, I think he would have been a difference maker. I think that it's just, it's, it's frustrating to see a goalkeeper be, be as influential as Reyna was this time around and not because it's easier or harder to be a good goalkeeper. Like I was impressed with how he played. Um, but Reyna just, I've never liked him because he's played for Lazio. That's kind of, that's kind of it. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't have favorite players on, on Lazio like Brandon might. Uh, I, fi- I try to find them all equally disgusting. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you, sometimes you just gotta, you know, say, he had a great match and that's just unfortunately the way it went. I think that if certain, let's say that that penalty had gone for on Zaniola's way in the, in the 19th minute or whichever minute it was at the beginning of the game, I think we might've been saying that Zaniolo was, you know, man of the match for the entire side for the entire match instead of just for Roma, which is obviously something we'll probably bring up later. Brandon, what did you make of Reina's performance? Uh, well, I thought it was very on the nose that you said that he turned back the clock because I distinctly remember after that uh, that late Zaniolo chance that he got his fingertips to. I remember shouting at my TV, like, why is this man still playing? He's been around <laughs> for so long. Um, and it always seems that these keepers, when they play Roma, just end up having the game of their lives. And um, I wouldn't necessarily call this game that for Reyna, but certainly um, he was very impressive throughout and uh, kind of had a similar vibe to what Patricia brings to Roma and that there's, you know, that calming presence in the back. You're not particularly worried about um, any errors that he's going to make. So that, so really just over the course of the game, he, he, it was an impressive performance. And I think the, the save on Zaniola was, you know, the, the feather in the hat for him. Yeah. And conversely, this was probably the, the first match. Patricio takes a bit of heat for Roma. Uh, tough on all the goals for him. Uh, before we get to him, though, I just want to mention, you know, I in Reina, like I, my buddy Nick is a Lazio fan. And sometimes I'm like, how does this guy still start in goal? Like I remember Strakosha was a starter a few years ago and then Strakosha had that howler in the Europa League a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was very Paolo Lopez-esque when Lopez in the Derby a couple of years ago, like basically gave Lazio a goal. It was something like that. So who knows if Strakosha ever starts again this, you know, in, in, in Serie A at least. I don't know about the Europa League, but uh, I kind of wish he was playing in Sunday's match because maybe, you know, one or two of those go in for Roma. But um, Patricio, you know, I was hoping Bren would come on just because Bren had, was never a fan of Patricio's signing. So this was the first match. I think, you know, we could critique Patricio a bit tough match for him just because he only saved one out of four shots. Do you think he could have done any better, Brandon? Not really. I think, you know, we talked about it, uh, especially with the second goal. Um, You know, there's not much that he could do. His defense kind of let him down in some key spots. I think you could argue that he could have done a little better on the SMS goal to start. Um, but the second and third goals, I can't really fault him for because just the, the lap, the lapses defensively for the squad, you, you can't really, um, legislate for that. 
Yeah. What about you, Jim? Anything on Patricio? Do you think he could have done better? Or do you think it was just kind of what, what Brandon said more on the defense and great shots by Lazio? I think it was largely on the defense and the Lazio attackers. The one thing I would add though, is that, you know, I think that even when we were praising Patricio earlier this season, we were generally adding the proviso that, you know, goalkeepers have bad matches sometimes. And I wouldn't even call this a bad match by Patricio. I'd say it was, you know, like what you would expect of a goalkeeper given what he was facing. Uh, but still, I, I'm expecting bad matches from him every now and then. I'm expecting more good matches than bad is pretty much how I would describe it. And sometimes, again, Reyna had a great match, unfortunately. And the flip side of that is, you know, Patricio wasn't able to reach that level of play and, you know, be that type of player and make it so that, you know, none of those Lazio goals went in. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think we could pin anything on Patricio in particular. Um, the first one maybe could come off his line a bit quicker, but great header by Malinka Savage. The second was a perfectly placed shot by Pedro on a play that, you know, he probably should never even be getting a shot off because the numbers were on my head back. And the last one, he charged like he should have, and it was a good play by Immobile to find Anderson. So hard to pin anything on him. The only thing, like you said, Jim, Reina played out of his mind in some ways, and Patricio was average on the day. So, you know, he would have had to pull a rabbit out of the hat on one of those good goals by Lazio to, to really be a, a big difference maker. One place where Roma probably did lack something, though, and it probably cost him, especially on some of those transition goals, was the defensive midfield. Um, I did um, our new piece, which was pointing out four numbers from the match. One of them was the number four for two reasons. One was because Chire Mobile actually had a really strong game for shot-creating opportunities, shot-creating actions, which all were goal-creating actions, and three of those went in. He had the primary assist on two goals and had, like, if it was hockey, it'd be like the secondary assist to start the first Lazio goal. And he's a guy you expect to be poaching the goals, not to be setting them up for Lazio. I know as, as Italy fans, it, it, he frustrates the hell of us playing for the Azzurri because I wish he would do more of this for the Azzurri. Uh, did it for Lazio against Romate. He really stepped up to the plate. Uh, the other reason I had the number four up there was because this is Cristante's fourth yellow in six matches in Serie A, which is to me a bit concerning uh, because it shows that positionally there's probably some things that need to be fixed. We mentioned many times he's not a true defensive midfield. So how much did Roma's lack of a defensive mid really cost them in defending Immobile on the break and just defending Lazio on the break in general, do you think, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Cristante because manager after manager is either feeling forced or deciding to play him in a role that I don't think he's incredibly suited for. I think he does like a better job than most would in a non-specific ro non -ro a role that's not built for him. Uh, but at the same time, it's very frustrating to watch a player who I think of as quite good just be forced into a role where he's obviously, you know, making these yellow card mistakes that cost the club on a week-by-week -week basis. Um, I don't really have much of an answer for that because even if Roma signed a DM in the winter window, uh, I think we'd want to play Cristante somewhere. He's got enough talent that he should be starting, but then the problem is, well, what do you do with Veratu? Uh, so more broadly speaking, I, I do wonder what's going to happen with Roma's midfielder pileup because it seems like they definitely need a new midfielder, but bringing one in definitely almost creates more problems. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wish that Immobile played like that for Italy like once every five or six matches because he, he never does. It's incredibly frustrating um, to see him be just like a complete poacher most of the time. And by complete, I mean incomplete. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, 
I, I, I can't blame Cristante too much, just like I really can't blame Patricio too much, but for different reasons. I can't blame Patricio because he did as good a job as I think you can do, given his position. And I can't blame Cristante because that's not really his position either. Um, so I hope that we're able to, you know, maybe maybe Mourinho is able to change the t- tactics until January to either accommodate Cristante a little bit more or just try to figure out a way to make it work because he's a great player who's being played out of position and it's costing the club. Yeah, he's he's bearing the brunt of Roma not being able to bring in Jacques or another defensive mid, I think. You know, and he is the ultimate team guy, so, sort of in the Florenzi mold where he'll play wherever the manager needs him to play, maybe to his own detriment in some ways. Um, because, you know, the, the the yellow card in this one frustrated me a little bit because it was right before halftime. I remember this one because I, it, I, I got frustrated with it at the time because they're in the 45th minute or so right before the half ends and he gave a ball away and then had to foul Lazio to, to stop them from going on the break right before halftime where you would have thought, okay, maybe Roma gets one more shot at goal or one more crack at goal before halftime. Instead, it started going the other way and he took a, a very unnecessary yellow in the sense that he should never given the ball away. But, you know, you were saying, you know, what happens if they do go out and get a, a DM in winter? What happens with Cristante and Vertu? Because Mourinho is going to probably want both of them on the pitch. And we've seen Mourinho laud Cristante's leadership and things like that many times and what he brings to the table for Roma. I wonder if they get a true defensive mid, does Roma go more to a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-1-2 where Pellegrini plays in the hole behind, you know, Zaniolo and Abraham or something? Do they try to something different? Um, because you're right. He is one of the better players on the team in the sense that he brings a lot to the table. But I think he's more suited for the Vertu role, which is one of the issues Roma has. So, Brandon, what do you make of the, the DM situation or lack thereof? Sure. So I think, you know, going off of what Jimmy said a little bit, you can't you can't put the blame too much on Cristante playing out of position, um, all the points that he hit. Um, I think we can all agree that the lack of DM cost Roma in this game in uh, at least to some degree, but simultaneous to that, this is a known problem that we've had within the squad. And it's kind of up to Mourinho and the team to adjust accordingly. And over the course of the last three games, you know, sure against Udinese, we we got the three points, but still looked shaky, looked a little disjointed in in midfield. And um, so this is a problem that you know you have, and it's something that, you know, they're, they're going to have to deal with sooner rather than later. I don't know if the hope thus far is that Chris Ante and Veritu will figure it out and just, you know, become a little more adept tactically in those roles. But, um, yeah, it seems like the winter market can't come fast enough. <laughs> yeah, and the interesting thing, you know, against the smaller sides, I think they can get away with this combo because Chris Ante can spring the counterattack. He can defend well enough. Veritu can, you know, defend more of those mediocre to moderate, you know, skill-leveled attackers it's matches like this where I think they're going to feel it the most against a Lazio who's got a, a great counterattack, a very strong midfield in Luis Alberto and Milinkovic Savage setting up a, a striker who loves to play in a counter. You know, in October, they have a, a three weekend stretch where on the 17th, they get Napoli, the 24th or rather 17th Juve, 24th Napoli, 31st Milan. You know, that that's a three week stretch where if these two play at this level defensively, Roma could be in for a world of hurt in those matches. And that's where, I think they're gonna to have to figure things out. You know, Cristante is one yellow away from an automatic one match suspension already. So, you know, you almost have to hope it comes before that stretch if this is what Marino's relying on, because you don't want him to take the card against Juve and then he's out for Napoli, or you know, he takes it against Napoli, and he's out for 
Milan almost at this point, because clearly Mourinho is, is not very confident in the Diawara VR combo. He even said, and I think it was his pre-match for this one, he was asked about the situation. You know, the journalists always try to find ways to get answers to these questions that everybody wants to know, but Mourinho doesn't want to answer. And he basically said, you know, it's early in the season. I don't have to worry about fatigue. This is, you know, these guys need to build up their consistency, yada, 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 without actually mentioning Diawara VR, because he doesn't want to come out and say, I don't trust these guys and kill their confidence. But I think it's starting to become very clear, like we've mentioned in other episodes, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they can manage at least to the, the winter Mercato if they're able to bring someone in then, because even then there's no guarantees because teams are less willing to sell or will, or will kind of jack up the price a bit. So um, certainly something that will be need to be worked on and probably addressed in January if possible, but not everything was bad. Because to me, I thought Nicolo Zaniolo probably had his best match since his return from his second ACL surgery since the beginning of this season. I thought he looked motivated. He looked a little more willing to run at players. He had a couple solid runs in this match. Um, one number I pointed out in that piece that I did last night that was published this morning is the number 10. And it wasn't for, you know, Francesco Totti in the Derby from like 10 years ago or something. It was because Nicolo Zaniolo had 10 shot creating actions the most on the team, way more than anyone else on the team in terms of like the attacking midfield. Tammy Abraham had seven. I think he was the second most. But Zaniola was effective in this match uh, in portions, you know, hit the post, drew a penalty, could have drawn a, a different penalty that was probably more warranted. So what'd you make of Zaniola's performance, Brandon? Did So does, does his performance count uh, as my hot take prediction of his breakout game? Does, it, does, that, does that mean that that came true? I, I, it's hard to say because <laughs> he didn't score and we didn't win. But, um, but yeah, no, I think um, it was great to see him um, really. It, it felt like this was the first game that he really felt like himself. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember the exact moment but there there was a moment in the game where something happens where he he had this look on his face where he just went into Thanos mode of I'll do it myself and um and from that point on he kind of tried to take the game over and um it was unfortunate to see him come off um you know I think with maybe like 10-15 minutes left in the game um because of fatigue um, I think, you know, if, if he was firing, if he was fully fit and um, stayed in the game, I think that he probably would have got something just at the rate that he was going. Um, you can tell he was just on the precipice of um, scoring. So hopefully he can carry this down, um, you know, going forward is really refreshing to see. Yeah. What about you, Jim? What'd you make of Zaniel on this one? Yeah, I mean, the two players that excited me the most were Abraham and Zaniolo. Um, you know, and the stats that you just provided kind of back that up. Zaniolo, as I was saying, kind of in comparison to Vigna, I think that he's going to take some time to get back to what he was prior to his ACL tears. But at the same time, we're already seeing, like in this match in particular, I saw a player who was playing the way that I want him to play. Um, he was making things happen, even if they didn't result in goals, like Brandon said. I, I was excited by what I saw. Um, I think that if he keeps on performing at this level, that goals will be sure to follow, whether that's, you know, this week in the ECL or, you know, later on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the detractors, I I saw some after the match will say he didn't have a great match because his decision-making still lacks things like that. But what Zaniola brings to the table at this point in his career is that pure athleticism, that power of dribbling at people. And he did it a few times in this match. And 
as you can see him building in confidence, like Brandon said, he kind of just started taking things into his own hands a little bit. And sometimes you need a player to do that. You need a player who's going to grab the bull by the horns and just go at the defense. It might not come off every time. Uh, it may lead to some bad turnovers once in a while, but his motivation level is very high this one. And I think there was a little extra motivation after last year because uh, the Lazio Curva Nord had a, a, a banner in the stands. So I guess it wasn't, it might've been pre COVID. It might've been, or right after they came back, something they had a, a Salta con Noi banner in the stands, basically jump with us knowing he had no knee. Um, and I think he took it personal because there's been shots taken at his mother by Lazio fans. And he gesticulated a little bit at the end of the match. I don't know if you guys saw the, the gesture he made toward the Lazio fans. Luckily, he got off with just a 10,000 euro fine rather than a one match suspension. So he won't miss the Empoli match. But, you know, he's got the personality where he, he kind of has nephew mentality when he wants to. And uh, it was good to see him back at, you know, feeling like himself a bit. And I hope that the Empoli match and whatever, you know, matches coming up in the, the Europa League or Conference League. He can build that a little bit more heading into that tough stretch I mentioned against those big sides because Roma's going to need him in tandem with Pellegrini and Abraham to really threaten opposing defenses, I think, and, and get through a tough stretch like the one in October because you can't rely on Pellegrini to score every match. And, you know, Abraham is still figuring things out a little bit and he's going to face some tough center back. So Zaniolo could be the game changer. So hopefully, like Brandon predicted, this is a breakout performance, even if there wasn't a goal, because you don't always have to score a goal to have a great performance like Chiro Immobile showed on the other side. So we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with this match just by, I, I, I noticed that this was the second loss that was hard to really pin on one or two players. Uh, Brandon mentioned the cliche to team sport at the beginning. There were quite a few players who I thought had poor performances based on their standard in this one. One that stood out to me, I don't know if you guys saw one or two that maybe stood out for the wrong reasons. I thought John Luca Mancini had a rough match and I love Mancini, but uh, he was somewhat culpable on all three goals in, in one way or another. So a little disappointing after he's had such a good match against Udinese and was wearing the captain's armband. I expected a bit better from him. Uh, I thought Ibanez was a little bit better defensively, but you know, the defense has its ups and downs. We've mentioned there, you know, they need some seasoning at times. And I think this was a match we saw it. Um, but besides Mancini, anybody stand out to you as maybe standing out for the wrong reason, so to speak, Jim? Yeah, I would definitely say that Rick Karsdorp is, you know, I'm getting to the end of my rope with him um, as a long-term piece in this club. Uh, I think that he's an adequate starting right back for right now. Um, but either I, I would prefer that Brian Reynolds shows himself to be able to perform that we don't need to go buy another right back because we have a lot of other pressing needs right now um, to resolve in the winter Mercado. But I keep on seeing matches from Rick Karsdorp where I'm unimpressed and he doesn't have any of the excuses that I would give to Vina. and sure he had some injury history, but you know, that's, that's a while ago now. Like he should, if he wants to be a starting right back in Rome for the long term, he needs to up his game. And I just found him to be, you know, basically invisible against Lazio, which is kind of unacceptable. At least if you're, at least if you're putting yourself out there and making mistakes, which I would say, you know, like Brian Cristante did, which I would say, you know, Gianluca Mancini did. Um, at least you're, you know, showing yourself to be on the pitch. I really saw very little from Karstorp this match. And that's concerning considering how important the fullbacks are in this tactical lineup. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I was just, kind of scrolling through his stats quickly you were talking and I just compared the touches between Vina and Karzorp. Karzorp only had 39 touches in the match. Vina had 65. So even though we picked on Vina a little bit before, you're right, he was more heavily involved than Karzorp. Karzorp very quiet for a guy who is 
kind of one of the not stalwarts of the team, but he's been involved in the side for a few years now. Brandon, anyone jump out to you as standing out for the wrong reasons, maybe, or maybe underperforming? Yeah. So, well, I guess to start, I, I do have to ask you though, is uh, you, I think you wore the Mancini Jersey for the Derby. Did, I did. did you think that played a role in uh, <laughs> Maybe I, I didn't wear the Pellegrini because he was suspended. So I said, let me wear a player who's playing. I, I broke out the Mancini from last season and maybe it was a bit of a hex on him. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, so in thinking about an answer to this question, Mancini came to mind at Banya's, uh, Karsdorp was, who was one of the players I was thinking about going with. But I think for me, um, and this might be a little contradictory, um, but El Shirari stood out to me in terms of how anonymous he was in the game. Um, and, you know, when you think about the amount of, well, I guess, let me backtrack a little bit here, but with, from what I remember with the game, you know, he, he was, he was trying to force the issue a little bit. It felt like, um, things weren't really coming off. He, he was running, but it didn't seem uh, like there was going to be any end product attached to that. And so with that in mind, you kind of wonder about the, um, the effect that had on Vina because El Sharari is trying to force the issue a bit, um, loses possession, or who's, who's right behind him that has to cover up Vina. So mm. I think it's... Um, it, it, it really stood out to me just how ineffective he was, which was disappointing because he gets a rare start given Pellegrini's absence. Yeah, I, I think that's a good shout as well. And I think that's a good point you make about the, the left back position, Vina being exposed if he's giving up possession, things like that. Also, I, want, I just want to throw out there Mkhitaryan. I thought Mkhitaryan had a pretty quiet match, only 42 touches for a guy who played 90 minutes in the kind of trecortista role, so to speak, as he replaced Pellegrini as the more central attacking midfielder. Um you know, he had eight progressive carries, which is a decent number. It was most in the team, but I don't really remember him doing much with those carries into, you know, Lazio's attacking half. I know he drew, I think it was five fouls, which was a team high. So in that sense, he did draw a few fouls, but he wasn't as effective, just like El Shari wasn't as effective. Maybe if it's Pellegrini in the middle and Mkhitaryan on the left, he has a little bit less focus on him from the defense because Pellegrini draws a little more attention. Maybe that helps a little bit, but both of them definitely disappointed in that sense too. And it, um that's why it's hard to pin this even just on the defense because even forward of the defense there were some issues or even forward of you know Cristante and Vertu I think there were some issues so we'll end there you know a bit of a depressing match but you know like we pointed out some some things that were encouraging especially the Zaniolo part and some things like that so we'll look ahead quickly to Roma's week ahead because it is another busy two-match week uh, first on Thursday, it's Zoria in the Conference League up in Norway, I believe. I think it's a road match. Um, are you expecting much turnover, Brandon? Or how are you expecting Roma to approach this after a disappointing loss? I think the approach for this will be similar to the Udinese game in that, you know, we kind of talked about how, um, given the theme of the season thus far as consistency um, and um, a culture shift that um, – you know, keeping the same 11 is, is probably the way to go. And I think more or less, um, aside from players who probably like could use the rest, uh, namely Vigna, um, given, you know, his injury uh, history thus far. But so I think largely the 11 will go unchanged just because I'm sure Mourinho will want to get back to winning ways as quickly as possible. Um I, I personally would like to see a little more turnover, but just going off of what we know thus far, I don't really expect too much. 
um hopefully we that that's a game that we can quickly um you know get up a few goals so we can rest some of those key players especially um you know with five subs at our disposal um so i think it, it it really will be important for us to get on the front foot in that game and you know try and try and um kill that off as quickly as possible so we can get some of these players a rest yeah what about you jim I mean, I'd love some rotation, but at the same time, I haven't seen too many indicators from Mourinho so far that rotation's the name of his game, at least for right now. He seems to be instilling more of a mentality, like trying to instill that mentality into a starting 11, which I can appreciate. But especially as, you know, we're, we're picking up steam with multiple competitions, I hope that there's more rotation, at least in the ECL, whether that's, you know, giving Shamuradov some starts. Maybe, you know, trying to see if some of the if we might actually have some of these solutions that we're going to be looking for in January, whether that's a midfielder or a right back in house. Like I would love to see Eduardo Bove get a start in the midweek at some point, just because I, as I said before, I think that as much as signing a DM might solve a lot of Roma's problems, it would also create some in terms of backlog. Whereas if we just promote a Primavera player and he can impress in that role, well, then we're going to be a lot saving some money and also having a lot more opportunity for, you know, Vertu and Cristante to just not get pushed to the bench perpetually. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know what to expect too much though. Cause every time that I think he's going to rotate, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. The one match where he did rotate rotate was the first group stage match against Sesca Sofia. I think he went with eight changes in that match and uh, Roma didn't really, they did, I think what they win the match four one, I think was the final. But it took them a while to get going, and it was really after the 60th minute when he made the changes in the midfield to bring in Cristante and Vertu that they took that match over, um, which is why I'm curious to see if he does stick with consistency to try to build these guys' confidence back up a bit because he knows he only has to get through the Ampoli match, and then it's an international break, and some of those guys will not be going on international break. Some will, uh, but maybe not playing as much. So be curious to see how he approaches this, or does he go with four, five, six changes in this one? And maybe give Smalling a start. Maybe give Max Kambula a start after a tough match for Mancini and Ibanez. Or do you think that's going to hurt their confidence? Um, right back, it seems like Karzor plays every match just because I don't think he's going to trust Reynolds there yet. Uh, it could be a match for Calafiori, like Brandon said. I would love to see Bove get a start because if he doesn't trust DOR and VR, maybe this is the match you give Bove a, a run out with one of the two or with one of the two regulars. I don't know. I think Pellegrini starts because he's back off suspension. He'll be well rested. Um, Maybe Shimordov gets a start, Perez, but it, it'll be interesting to see. But I just hope Roma approaches this a little better from the, the onset than they did against Sesca Sofia because they did give up that fairly early goal and had to rebound and eventually put up four goals or five goals. Uh, I hope they come out, you know, guns a-blazing and motivated after that, that loss. I hope they're really fired up um, and can go into Sunday against Empoli with some confidence. So, so quick about Empoli before we go. Um, last match before another international break, so listen to Empoli's results so far. So they have three wins, no draws, three losses so far. Lost their opener at home to Lazio, 3-1. Then they went to the Allianz Arena, beat Juve 1-0. Shock, maybe the shocker this season so far. Uh, then lost to uh, fellow Serie B, you know, promotion team, Venezia 2-1, who hasn't been very good this year. Got hammered by Sam 3-0, and then they've beaten Caliade 2-0, and they beat Bologna 4-2 this past Sunday. So kind of a mixed bag. Some surprising wins and maybe a surprising loss to Venezia that they followed up their win against Juve with. They're a team that can score some goals. They've got uh, nine goals scored, but they've allowed 10 so far, so they can give up plenty of goals. So what are, you, what are you expecting in a match like this, Jim? I'm 
gonna bite my tongue because last time I said that I expected a win, it didn't. We didn't get a win. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I mean, like I, I'm, I'm hoping for a win against this type of team. This is the type of team where if we have actual, you know, hopes and aspirations for a top four finish, we've got to beat the Empolies of the world. Um, it's kind of as simple as that. And yeah, I mean, it shouldn't matter whether they've had great form or terrible form to start the season. This should be a t- team that we beat. Uh, I'm not going to say that I expect a win, uh, but it would definitely, you know, help us cement our spot in the top four because we're still in fourth place despite mm-hmm. having two losses this season. Uh, but if we, if we turn that into an, if we see another draw or a loss, then we're going to start plummeting down the table and we, who knows, we might be, mid-table with Juventus for a while. Um, and that wouldn't be fun. Who wants to be mid-table with them? Uh, anyway, yeah, so that's my take. I'm, I'm not going to bet, but we should be winning it if we want Champions League qualification. Yeah, what are you looking for, Brandon? Um, yeah, I, I agree with what Jim was saying. Um, I don't also don't want to jinx it. This is a game that we should win. I think that, um, you know, especially if we didn't have the Conference League game midweek but this certainly would be one of those games where you you make a statement after such a disappointing defeat in the derby um one of the things that i'm looking for is just um how zaniolo continues to perform um if i were empley's defense defenders i'd probably be a little worried um in prepping for this match coming up just with how dangerous that he looked towards the um the end of the lazio game so i'm you know i i you know we're expecting a win. It should be simple. I doubt that it will be because this is Roma that we are following here. But um, I think ultimately um, this should be a game that Zaniolo really makes his mark. Yeah, th- this to me is a match Roma, like Jim said, has to win. Uh, it's hardest to call a match this early season a must win. But considering the schedule post-international break with uh, Juve, then a Conference League match, Napoli, and then a Cali Day midweek match, and then Milan to finish out October – that's a difficult stretch where they're going to be tested week in, week out. So I know Empoli can score goals. They also can concede plenty of goals. Uh, what happened to Juventus against them? I don't know how they were able to defend that well because they've given up goals in every other match they've played except for the Cali match. And we know Cali is not very good. Uh, but I think, yeah, this is a match, a team where, you know, Zaniolo can go at a, a team like Empoli. You know, Empoli can attack. Roma's going to have to be wary. But I want Roma to, to really come out and try to control possession and dictate the the terms of the match, you know, it's at home. They just announced that Serie A stadiums can go to 75%. Um, I'm guessing by this weekend, if they made the announcement early in this week, so maybe Roma can sell more tickets. And I, I hope that the, the, the Stadio Olimpico really comes out in support of Roma, despite the loss um, and really gets behind the team and, and it helps them rally and goes into the international break, feeling good about themselves with hopefully back-to-back wins. Um, guys, before we go though, I have one other thing to leave you guys feeling good before we leave. And that's Steven Nzanzi is now in the middle East. He's no longer a Roma problem. Uh, I think Laura Block is, te- uh, I was going to say teaching, coaching, managing in um, I think it's the UAE or wherever he went because it's saving Roma 6 million euros. They didn't have to pay him anything as like a parting gift because he doesn't deserve a parting gift. We all know that. Thank God. Um, <laughs> so that's the good news. I'll leave the listeners with Do you guys want to chime in with anything. No, I just by Stephen. I didn't like you at all. (laughs) (laughs) I will say best of luck on your new adventure, Stephen. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, and then there were two. It's Santone and Fazio, so we might have to suffer through them eating up some of our money for the rest of the season. But then they're gone too, one way or another. So 
uh, we leave you guys with something a, a little lighthearted to, to end the episode with, maybe something you could feel good about with because losses to lots are always tough. Thanks again for listening. As always, um, comment in the comment section on, on Chiesa di Totti. Send in your comments on Twitter. And uh, I think maybe over the international break, we'll have another listener Q&A. We haven't done one of those in a while, and the international break will be a good opportunity. So thanks again for all your support. Mm-hmm.